for those that can be there. You're going to have a great time in the Lord. It'll be exciting. Our men's gatherings have been great every time we've gotten together. The Lord's been up to something. And it's, tonight won't be any different, right? We can come together with expectation. Can you hear me okay? Or I feel like I'm having to yell. Is it just me? Okay. Hey, Mark, can we bring this up a little bit? I feel like I'm having to yell. So, and I don't, I don't want to have to yell. There we go. That's a little better. Um, thank you. So, uh, if you're a man and you've gotten, you know, nothing like, a, you know, a, a, an ox in the ditch, or something else that's prohibiting you that's highly significant, why don't you come out tonight at 6 o'clock? And let's just see what the Lord wants to do. Amen? And ladies, put, a, put an elbow in his side and say, you need to go. Because anytime your man gets encouraged, just to your benefit. Right? So that's 6 to 8 tonight here, downstairs in the fellowship area. Uh, we'll be gathering there. Uh, I want to bring a message to you this morning that I've entitled, uh, not just a dot, 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 but more than. Not just a dot, 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 you fill in the blank, but more than. Too often, people are happy to settle with an idea of, I'm just... It's just, well, just, you hear me? But God wants more than, not from you, but what he's done to make it that way. If you've got a Bible with you, would you open to Romans 8? And look with me, if you will, at verse... 31 through 39, we'll cover a lot of text today because it's something that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to make a deposit of in our hearts. If you're with us on the live stream, I hope you can hear clearly. Um, I hate it when you can't be here because it's just not the same and it never will be the same. Uh, we cannot make the live stream be what we have here. Because there's something to the being together in this atmosphere that's very powerful. And that can't be duplicated in a living room. Um, and you may testify that you feel the Lord in your experience, and that's great. But I promise you, it's a small percentage of what we're feeling here. So hopefully you'll get past whatever's keeping you from being here and uh, be back with us. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The idea of that statement is not that nobody can try to come against you. It's that they can't succeed. The idea is the lack of success on their part. So... Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely, or how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
What is he going to give us? All things. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You did not justify yourself. So it can't be questioned. If God justified, that's an absolute perfect justification that can't be called into question. So it is God who justifies, verse 34, who is he who condemns? Well, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Then verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if somebody comes to you and tells you that because of whatever, that God is upset with you, and that his love for you has somehow diminished, that's not the gospel. Paul said to the Galatians, I am concerned for you. Because if somebody preaches to you some other gospel, you readily accept it. And so he's, he takes the Galatian letter to just bring them right back through a primer on what the gospel is about. And how it was not what they did to make it authoritative and forceful for them. And it was not what they did that brought the Holy Spirit to them. And it was not what they did to get miracles and signs and wonders and healing and all the gifts of the Spirit. It was not what they did. It was what they believed. But there were men who had come up and said, well, that's not enough. Believing is not enough. Basically, they were saying, you need to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised. If your salvation was real, you Gentiles will get circumcised. There's nothing in the gospel that says you have to be circumcised. And the reason they were saying circumcised is when Gentiles under the old covenant wanted to come under the blessing of Israel, they had to go through the circumcision covenant to become blessed as Israel was blessed. In other words, that's the way you had your entrance into the Jewish way of life. And after you had been circumcised, then you were incorporated and could participate in the Jewish feast and the festivals and the, and the, the worship at the temple at a certain area in the court. Without that, you couldn't. And there are people today that want to tell you that unless you, you cannot. Unless you, you're just they. If you don't, you're just they. 
That's what they want to tell you. But it's not the gospel. And you should be adamant in your defense of the gospel. Now, this great promise of victory we find in Romans 8 and overcoming power that we read about there to the point of exceeding mere victory and going all the way to triumphing over whatever seeks to hinder the work of God in and through you to bring you into his glory-filled destiny for your life. It's only yours if you're in Christ by grace through faith. It is not yours on the basis of how much you pray or how more passionately you pray than others. It is not yours on the basis of how much of the words you read in comparison to another or in comparison to the way you did it last year. It is not yours because you go to school to learn more about this. It is not yours because you fasted. It is yours only if you're in Christ by grace through faith. You cannot partake of this wonderful promise as an unbeliever. Now, this promise is for anybody. But the only way you can appropriate such a promise is through belief. You will never be able to apply any particular promise of God in the word of God unless you believe it. I will have a motorcycle here the 22nd of July because I'm believing it's coming. You'll see me right here on it. It's not here yet. I know it's coming. I've been told it's coming. I don't question that fact. I know what the Holy Spirit showed me about it. It will be here. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The promises of God operate this way. They're there in the word of God for anyone who will believe. And it might not appear in the natural that your belief is getting anywhere. Come on. (laughs) But I'm here to tell you, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, Daniel prayed for many days and fasted and sought the Lord. He sensed in his spirit there was a time at hand. There was something going on in the realm of the spirit. And he wanted to put himself right in the middle of all of that. And so he was, he was praying. And, and then finally, after many days, Gabriel shows up. And he says, man of God, the Lord has heard your cries. He said, well, what took you so long? He said, I was dispatched the first time you opened your mouth. I was dispatched. I was given the command to come. But the prince of Persia hindered me. I've been in battle for many days to get to you. Do you understand that sometimes in the heavenlies, there's a war being waged on the, 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 the coming of your promise. That the enemy wants to interfere with that promise. He's not going to be successful. 
But the very moment you open your mouth in faith, believing God according to his word, there is something that is dispatched from the throne of God on your behalf. If it didn't show up to you in that very moment, just know there's spiritual warfare engaging on this. That's what the deal is. You'll get it. You'll get it. The only way this promise is manifested is for you to be in Christ, in Christ, and believe it. You have Jesus living within you. When you've been born again and you've received his eternal life, Jesus moved in. He then gives you the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and fill you to overflowing by simply believing him at his word about it and receiving the person of the Holy Spirit by faith just the same as you receive Jesus Christ by faith. If I say, Lord, I want to be freshly filled, I don't hope he'll maybe do it. I'm, I'm experiencing it. Why? Because I believe it's true. I believe it's true. What do you believe? Are you going to believe God at his word or are you going to believe what you see with your eye? What you hear with your ear? What you touch with your fingertips? What you taste with your tongue? What you smell with your nose? We only believe it if it makes your hair stand up on your arms. What do you believe? What have you come to know so concretely about your God that gives you that access to say that if he said it, that's it. The God who spoke and things that were not came to be. Hebrews 11 in the archives of the heroes of faith, that's how it opens up. That the Lord spoke. He spoke. And everything that you see came into being. All he had to do was speak. And it came into being. That's the God that you belong to. So if the God who can speak the universe into existence and bring all the order of it that we are witnessing in, in our time. Magnificent things. If he did all that and then he turns around and in his word, he gives you a promise that is based on his son, Jesus Christ, who lives in you. How sure is that promise? When you live filled by the Holy Spirit, surrendering to his counsel and following his guidance, you live victoriously despite any circumstance that's occurring in your life right at the moment. You don't have to live life overwhelmed. 
You realize Paul was in a ship at sea in the middle of a hurricane. A hurricane, people. A sailboat in a hurricane. With waves coming over the boat. And people scrambling around frantically. And what does Paul say to the, to the guard and the captain? Don't, you get rid of the lifeboats. If anybody tries to escape, even one, it's not going to go well. Everybody must remain. If they remain, we're going to be saved. Because my God sent an angel to tell me we would have a problem with Paul today. If Paul were here speaking today, there'd be a lot of people wanting to get up and walk. This guy is a fruitcake. He's frou-frou. This stuff he's talking about is just a little too weird. Now he's wanting to get some cloth and give it to somebody and tell them to take it home, lay it on a person who's sick, and they'll get up healed. But it worked. And that Peter guy, and all this stuff about his shadow touching somebody laid out on the street and they're healed. Come on. Come on. He puts his pants on one leg at a time just like I do, and my shadow's never healed anybody. Well, we already know why yours hasn't. You're thinking naturally. There are places the Lord can bring you into that you never even began to imagine. See, instead of reacting to the circumstances of life as a victim or somebody being held back by problems, you can arise and see the problem for what it is. It's simply an opportunity to demonstrate the faithfulness and power of God Almighty, who is now your father. He's your father. It's your opportunity to walk with your head held high and your confidence intact. Jesus stood before Pilate, who at the time was the most powerful man in Judea as a Roman authority figure. And when Pilate said to Jesus, quote, why do you not answer me? Do you not know I have the power to kill you? <laughs> Jesus, as a conqueror, although having been handed over, mocked, spit on, taunted, and physically abused, answered Pilate by saying, quote, you could not have any authority over me except what my father has given you. End quote. Jesus was letting Pilate know he could not be threatened to do what a man wished him to do. Jesus was only in submission to his father and was prepared to go through whatever his father had destined him to go through. Jesus was not a victim. He was more than a conqueror. So what hard knocks of life have you been through? 
You know, I could write a book about my father committing suicide when I was 11 years old and, and growing up the way that I did and engaging in some of the activities I did and all that. And there would be people that would eat that up. Because people would rather associate with victimization than they would with victory. I'm not marked by my father's suicide. <laughs> I'm marked by my father's gift. The son who was crucified. I had so many people telling me when we had our, the, the girls with twins, when they were born, they were our first. I had so many people who meant well, and they would come to us and they'd tell us, you know, I know it'll be tough on you. You never had a dad. You know, your mom wasn't serving God all those years. Your brothers and you, you, you all of you guys were rebels and hellions. You probably don't know anything about raising these kids, but, but you know, you could get your hands on some books and stuff like that, and, and all of that. I'm like, I have a father. You're talking to me like I don't have a father. I have a father. I'll be all right. There's some things I may not know, but he knows everything. And what I don't know, he's more than happy to tell me. So I didn't enter into parenthood nervous like a cat. In a pack of dogs. I entered into parenthood with confidence. And some people interpreted my confidence as cockiness and pride and arrogance. And it wasn't. I just knew he had already been telling me the things I couldn't have otherwise known. And he'll tell me these important things, too. He gave these kids to us. He's not going to lead me astray on this. Right? All we've been hearing about already this far into this message, that's the Jesus living in you. That's why you're not just a. You're more than. Turn your Bibles to Mark 1.23. I love this story there in the Gospels. My goal today is to get you encouraged about what you have within you. It's not of you, it's of him. Mark chapter 1 verse 23, we'll start there. Now, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? <laughs> the devils believe, and they tremble. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? Oh, 
There's something they're not used to. What does Jesus want to do in your life that you're not used to? That goes against everything you were taught being raised up. That's what these guys are experiencing. Because God's not afraid to rock your world. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Of all the spirits that the rabbis had problems with, their greatest problems came with unclean spirits. Why? Because they themselves were a bit unclean, even though they professed to be holy. And under the law... Are you hearing me? Yes. Verse 28. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, his wife's mother, lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, in another one of the Gospels, it says he healed all who were sick and delivered all who were oppressed by those demons. Now, who turned out? The whole city. The whole city. Now, we're not talking about a city that's the size of Knoxville. These cities that we're dealing with here, they're a fraction of what Knoxville would be. It'd be like us right now saying, well, the whole town of Farragut. Or all of Inskip. Or everyone in Powell. When you wanna, if you want to reduce it down to numbers or you know, size, that's what you're dealing with. But for them, it was significant. It's a city. And that's not to say that God couldn't do it for Knoxville. But Jesus takes the hand of Peter's mom, lifts her up, fever's gone. Later on toward the evening as the sun's setting, they start bringing people. Why? His fame is spreading. The, the news that that there's healing power, that this man is doing miracles, that he's got authority over demons. Who does it draw out? People that have demons and people who are sick. So what does he do? He heals them and with authority he rebukes the demons and people are set free. That's the Jesus living in you. That's why you're not just a, but more than. Now, when Jesus came to dwell in you, 
He did not change from who he was when he ministered here on earth. He didn't say, I better get one of my 16 personalities. Because he doesn't possess 16. He's not MPD. Multiple personality disorder affected. He's Jesus. He added to who he was here on earth, who he is now in glory. All that he was is at work in you right now. And all that he is glorified and seated at the right hand of the majesty on high is in you as well. He's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, he spoke to the disciples saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Where is his authority? The church acts like the only place it's working is in heaven. When the church is supposed to be fulfilling the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. If it is to be done on earth, somebody has to believe Jesus is living in them and still operating in his authority. There's no other way it will happen. The only thing that's hindering the will of God in the earth is the unbelief that's in the church. All it takes is for the church to begin to believe the gospel. That's all it takes. The Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth is the Jesus living within you. It's why you're not just a. You're not just a churchgoer. You're not just a Christian. You're not just a good person trying to do their best. No, you're more than. You're more than. Look at Mark 16, verses 14 through 18. It says in verse 14, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table. And what did he do? He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Why? Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. They were given a testimony that Jesus fulfilled his word and promise. And they did not believe it. And Jesus identified that as unbelief and hardness of heart. The church today will not qualify you as having unbelief and a hardness of heart unless you get caught in some kind of immoral activity. Here, Jesus said, that's your condition when you're not believing. He rebuked his own disciples. He says to them in verse 15, go. Now, here's after, right after he rebukes them. Here's how quick the Lord's already moving forward in your life. 
He, he's not asking you to hang out in remorse and shame or condemnation. He's just saying, this is where you were. Now, get up. Let's get on with this thing. Let's do this. Verse 15, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is the ministry of the believer. This is not isolated to only special gifts in the body of Christ who are platform speakers and figureheads. This is every believer's call. Everyone. That's the Jesus living in you. It's not just a. I'm just a member of such and such church. No, it's more than that. You're more than that. Are you hearing me? You're more than that. See, all this is important because as Jesus is, so are you in this world. So what Jesus is the world seeing? Look at 1 John 4, 17 through 19. It says in verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You're not coming to the judgment Knees knocking, trying to hide. That's what the world will be doing. You're coming to the judgment. Here I am. I'm here, Lord. You may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, present tense. What is that? Don't just read over this. Ask yourself the major question. When it says as he is, what is that? What does that look like? John 17, the glory you have given me, I have given them. Jesus wasn't lying. He wasn't speaking out of two sides of his mouth. He was talking the truth. Look at verse 18. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears is not been made perfect in love. 
If you wrestle with fear, it's not that you need to overcome fear. It's that you need a revelation of his love. That's what overcomes fear. When you're asked to do something with somebody you look up to, as you know loves you, you're not sitting there saying, well, I don't know if I can do that. I, you may be putting me at risk. You may be wanting to kill me or something. <laughs> you don't do that. You're like, okay, let's do it. Why? Because you know they love you. If somebody loves you, they're not out to kill you. They're not out to hurt you. They're, they're out to make sure that you have fun, that you're happy, that you're full of joy, that you have experiences that can broaden your perspectives. They're for you. They're not against you. So when they say, come on, let's do this, you're like, okay, let's do this. The only time you can't say, yeah, let's do this is if you don't trust. And if you don't trust, you don't know the love. You don't know the love. Because he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And in verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. The love you have for Jesus will never go deeper than the revelation of his love you possess. The love you have for Jesus can never go deeper or further than the love you know to be true from him to you. Your reluctance is not because you're a bad person. Truth is, there's no flesh that's good. There's nothing good in anybody's flesh. So let's just quit identifying with the natural here, okay? Let's set the natural aside. And let's, let's, get, let's just get what the Word of God is trying to show us here. I need to see the love of Jesus. Why? Ephesians 3 says it this way. To know the love of Christ that you might be filled with how much? All. All the fullness of God. What would that look like? The fullness of God showed up at the temple of Solomon, and they couldn't even stand to do the ministry. The glory of God was so weighty, they were on the ground. There's a presence of God that is yours to walk in. It is yours. But you can only know that based on the depth of of revelation and understanding you possess in your heart about the love of Christ. I've seen people that, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to speak with new tongues. I've been fasting. We're already on the wrong path. We are already on the wrong path. Well, I got to wait for it. I got to tarry. We're already on the wrong path. You're not going to get it that way. It's not how it comes. Well, I've been... Did it quit? Just stop. Let's work on getting a revelation of the love of Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit will be a no-brainer for you. You'll have it so fast. I'm, I'm serious. 
You can never go further in your ministry or in your walk or in your own personal development than you know the love of God. Because without knowing the love of God, you are, you are hindered by your fears. Your fear of failure, your fear of making a mistake, your fear of reprisal if you get it wrong. It will hinder you. It will stop you from going the, the distance that God wants to take you and your walk with him. God has things that he wants to do in you and through you that will surprise you as much, if not more, than it even surprises the people who are the recipients of the blessing of it. It's true. My friend Chad that I made recently was telling the story about how in Africa the woman came and her spine had already had, what was it, seven surgeries? Eleven surgeries. No no benefit. Eleven surgeries, no benefit. Sounds like the woman with the issue of blood. But she came and she's got to have help with walking and stuff. She's got a device helping her walk. And so they, they pray and the Lord touches her spine. And he says he saw in the spirit just, he, all he knew to pray, he didn't even say be whole. He said, God, I ask you to send an angel with a brand new spine and insert it in this woman's back. He said, I've never prayed that way before in my life. But all of a sudden, I just felt like I'm supposed to pray that way. So I just said, God, send an angel with a brand new spine from heaven, put it in this woman's back. He said, and all of a sudden, here she was. She was healed. She was healed. And he said, she was excited. He said, I was excited. I took off running because I was so surprised and excited. And I turned around to find out she's in step with me. He said, I'm not sure which one was more surprised, her or me. But we were both exceedingly joyful. God has a whole lot of surprises he still wants to unleash. On the church. He's got some for you. But you will never take advantage of those potential surprises, those opportunities, if you don't know the love of Christ. Because you can't tap into the, all the fullness of God without knowing the love of Christ. I'm trying to make this as simple as I can possibly make it. Because it really isn't complicated. And that's what makes it complicated for many people. Most people want you to say, okay, give me the formula. Because they think if you give them the formula, they can, they can mix it up and make it work. So this is sort of like you can have the best triple chocolate cake you've ever tasted in your life. If you just go into your kitchen and throw the eggs up in the air and throw the flour up in the air and throw the olive oil up in the air and just believe that when it all comes down, it'll be mixed up batter in the bowl, throw it in a pan, throw it in the oven, just hit on and wait for it. See, we've become so conditioned in the natural that everything requires 
a process that it is hindering us from getting the revelation of the love of God that he intends for us to get so that we can experience the great and wonderful things that God has for us. Now, it's okay to function in the processes of the natural as part of our life. But let's quit allowing those processes to dictate for us how the things of the kingdom are supposed to work. That's not how it's supposed to go. The kingdom works completely different from the way things go in the natural here. Are you hearing me? The Jesus who was and is and is to come is the Jesus living in you right now. He is not limited in his authority or in his life and power. His generosity and kindness did not go away, nor has his passion for the will of the Father diminished. His friendship and his communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit is just as fervent as it has always been. Time has not weakened his willingness or his ability, and Jesus is not subject to time because he is eternal. That is the Jesus living within you. That's why you're not just a. What are you allowing yourself to be identified by? Well, I'm, I'm just a man who was raised in a strange way. I, I'm just a woman who suffered many things and been prone to link up with people who just want to take advantage of me and abuse me. I, I'm just a weak person who, and you know, Jesus is made strong when I'm weak. Not that kind of weakness. That's not what it's talking about. Too many are using that passage of scripture as an excuse to remain a victim everything Jesus did while walking as a man on this earth he did it as a man relying on the Holy Spirit knowing the love of the Father What was his testimony to the challengers? I know my father, and my father loves me, and he has committed all things to me. You're saying he's not withheld anything from me. My father's good. My father loves me. The things I'm doing, I'm doing by the father. Confidence. Convinced. The only time it became an issue for Jesus is in the garden when he knows the hardest step of his entire existence on this earth is about to come upon him. But don't mistake his prayer as trying to just merely escape it. His prayer is that is there in this will of yours, Father, any type of loophole? that this could be done in a different way than I'm about to go through. It is not I'm getting out of it. It's if there's an alternative way to do it, 
and you're willing to go there, I'm willing to go there. But if there's not, your will be done. Your will be done. Here's another excuse people love. They love to quote John the Baptist. I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist is talking about the order of old covenant prophets going away. John the Baptist is saying, I'm the last prophetic representation of a covenant that's about to disappear. That's what he's saying. You are not John the Baptist. That's why Jesus would say, Do you, what, are you, what, what is your testimony, John the Baptist? He asked the people. Who do people say he is? What do you think he was? A reed shaking in the wind? No, I tell you, among the prophets, there is none greater. Of all the old covenant prophets, John the Baptist was the greatest. End of story. If Jesus says John the Baptist, as the forerunner prophet to the Messiah, was the greatest old covenant prophet there was, then you can take that to the bank that John the Baptist was the greatest old covenant prophet that ever lived. Jesus would go on to say, I'm pausing for effect. Will you let me do it, please? <laughs> they want to get to that, that spot, you know. Jesus went on to say, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That doesn't sound like lesser to me. In many ways, we've been trained to think in an upside-down manner from what the kingdom thinks. In fact, you have greatness that is so great, you have the capacity to serve without worry. It's going to diminish you in any way. You have the capacity to tell someone else they're wonderful without it taken away from your being wonderful. You have the capacity to commend someone else in what they're doing and who they're being, and it doesn't take anything away from who you are or what you are doing. But the only time you're going to realize you have that is when you believe. And you believe the revelation of the love of Christ. So that you're filled with all the fullness of God. And you're ready to walk in the promises that are yours. In Christ. In Christ Jesus, he has given us all things. That pertain to what? Death and misery (laughs) here on earth. But when you listen to some people, that's what it sounds like they believe. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Whoa! 
Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Beulah Land. The only reason they cry out songs about heaven is because life sucks so bad right here. Come on. Can't we at least be a little bit honest? Yeah, Maranatha, Jesus come. Not because we're trying to escape, but because we're so in love with him. We're so eager to see him face to face. Come on. I'm ready for real Christianity. I'm ready for real discipleship. I'm ready for a real church that's bathed in the blood of the Lamb of God, full of the Holy Spirit, believing in the promises of God, and walking in the fullness of God, and demonstrating on the earth that heaven is being pulled in. Pulled in. Because as He, are, as he is, we are here on this earth. Come on. That's your inheritance. That's your heritage. That's your destiny. Because whoever believes in him, they will do this. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a, there's a lot that we've yet to see. A lot that we've yet to imagine. Ephesians says he is able to do even more than you can begin to imagine or to think. Way beyond it. He exceeds it. He exceeds it. But how will you ever experience it if you can't ever think that way? If the first thing that hits your soul... In situations is how bad it's going to go. How unpleasant it's going to be. How much you wish you could just avoid it. Most of Christianity is in what I call an avoidance ministry. Avoidance ministry. Oh, don't let, oh, Lord, they see somebody, and oh, Lord, don't let that person come into the church. Oh, Lord, don't, don't move that person to speak to me. Oh, Lord, don't ask me to be friends with that individual. My Lord, look at him, look at him, look at him. Look. And he's like, I don't see anything in the natural. I'll see something in the spirit. Some of the people that we most struggle with, some of them people he wants to save. All of them people he loves. There's never been a human being born on this planet or that will be born on this planet that God hadn't loved. It's impossible for that to happen. 
My wife keeps telling me, you do realize that all these babies' lives that are being saved right now are going to be born around your birthday, March 21st. That was after I was saying, the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and said, there's a generation he's preserving. The church can be like the children of Israel, the first generation, who kept going around the same mountain. Oh, they just kept trekking around Sinai, trekking around Sinai, trekking around Sinai, trekking around Sinai. You know, God, give them a lesson. All right, let's go back around the mountain again. You didn't get it. You're still filled with unbelief. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Back around the mountain again. Then he says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring you right up to where you can cross over and go into the promised land. So they come up with this wise plan. Let's send these 12 spies across. Let's just spy out the land. Let's just see, you know, God told us what it is, but let's just go see it. And so they send the 12 spies in, and sure enough, it is everything that God said it was. Except. Except. What's your except? E-X-C-E-P-T. Ten of them came back and said, oh, oh, they thought they were just so mature. It is everything that the Lord said it is. The grapes, so big, so delicious. It was hard for us to carry a cluster on a stick with the two of us carrying it. Oh, man, it is everything God said it was. Billy goat, spirituality. But there's giants in that land. There's an opposition unlike anything we've ever seen before. That's what's over there. The place God wants to take us goes right through an opposition unlike anything we've ever faced. And there was two of those spies that said, don't listen to these men. If God says he's given it to us, they will be as grasshoppers to us and not us as grasshoppers to them. God is not sending us in to die. He's sending us in to inherit. He's sending us in to take possession. He's sending us in for victory. You don't think God knew those guys were there? Of course he knew they were there. He didn't tell us about it because he knew we wouldn't even venture close to the border if we knew ahead of time. The reason God don't tell you the entirety of the plan he has for you is because you don't have the faith for where he's taking you because it's going to be great faith for you to just get to the next place. It's going to take a level of faith for you to just take the next step, let alone be five miles further in the journey. God is not misleading you. He's not doing salesman tactics. 
and trying to set a hook, set a hook, set a hook. No, he knows what your, your level is at right now. He's leading you based on where you're at and where he wants to take you one step at a time. Why? Because he's a loving father. And he knows that if he expected you to be at the end of that journey instantaneously, that's asking too much of you, just as it would have been asking too much of the disciples. Jesus was regularly having to tell them, why didn't you believe? Why aren't you believing? Rebuking them for their unbelief. These were mighty men of God that Jesus was rebuking for their lack of faith. Don't get offended if I tell you you've got a struggle in this area. I'm not offended when I realize I've got a struggle in this. Look, if these guys could struggle with this, being eyewitnesses to the Messiah in the flesh, eyewitnesses to all the miracles, the signs, and the wonders, which, by the way, that's proof, miracles and signs and wonders aren't to establish your faith. They're to cause you to marvel. Your faith is not going to grow if you just walk up here and God zaps you. I've seen tons of people that got zapped so powerfully by the Holy Ghost, and two days later, they had backslid so hard. It was mind-boggling. But even in their black backslidden state, they'll still say, God touched me so powerfully. But that touch didn't do enough for them. It's not the signs and the miracles and the wonders that change us. They make us marvel. They testify that God is real. The thing that changes us is faith at work in our heart, Amen. believing the truth that God has spoken. Amen. Find me one person, one. I'll give you $100,000. If you can find me one person, Jesus made sick. While he ministered here on earth, find me one person Jesus made sick. Find me one person Jesus killed. Find me one person Jesus made blind. Find me one person Jesus made deaf. Find me one person Jesus made paralyzed. Find me one. Just one. That's all I'm asking. One. You can't. But what you can find are the many that he healed in those conditions. Why is it so easy to believe, well, just God allowed this. God's causing me to grow up by having me go through this. Kick that religious lie where it belongs to the trash heap send it where it belongs the trash heap Jesus did not put that on you so you'll grow that's bogus it's not true if it's true you should be able to confirm it by the way the thorn in Paul's flesh was not a physical illness it was a messenger of Satan it's sort of like the Judaizers of Galatia. Yeah. Yeah. 
constantly following along and trying to undo everything Paul's trying to do in the gospel. And so when Paul says, I've prayed several times about this, and each time the Lord said, Paul, it's okay, my grace is sufficient for you. What is he saying? I'm strengthening you in this message of grace, Paul. You're a contender for the gospel truth. I am not going to get rid of that messenger to make it convenient for you. This is sharpening your speaking skills as it pertains to my son. He's not saying you're sick and I'm not going to heal you. That's religious bullcrap. Let's call it what it is. Listen, we have more excuses built into us as to why we should be suffering. This is not the suffering the Bible speaks of. When the scripture in the new covenant speaks of suffering, it's talking about oppositional governments that want to kill you, that want to shut you up and shut you down, that want to make you homeless, that want to make you wander. It is not talking about stuff going on in your physical body. Unless somebody's stabbing you with a spear because you're testifying of Jesus. Or burning you at the stake because you're testifying of Jesus. The suffering the Bible talks about is the suffering of Christ. Show me where Jesus was sick. He was never sick. But what did he suffer? The cross. The rejection of men. That's your suffering. Don't just accept what the enemy throws your way because religion has given nine million excuses for why you should put up with it. I'll get in trouble for preaching this way, I'm sure. But I believe it. Let me wrap this up. Because I want you so encouraged that when the enemy tries to bring something against you, you just know exactly how to rise up. Because as he is, so are you in the earth right now. Now, if I look like I'm upset when I'm saying something, you say, I'm mad at the devil, man. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil. I have a righteous indignation in me about this stuff. I got a righteous indignation that rises up when the gospel's being, you know, challenged with nonsense. Jesus has such great, so much greater stuff for you than what you've even began to realize already. Jesus kept his eyes on the Father, his heart in union with the Father, relied on the Holy Spirit to lead him. Jesus spoke what he heard the Father speaking. He did what he saw the Father doing. So if you want to know what the Father's like, go look at what Jesus was doing. Tells you all you need to know. And he was doing that under old covenant construct. Jesus had to operate under the old covenant. Do you realize that under the old covenant, the Israelites could be miraculously healed? They could be delivered to demonic spirits. Did you know that they got to see miracles and signs and wonders under the old covenant? 
And we're under a better covenant. So why should the people of a better covenant see less? Just as Jesus was relying upon the Holy Spirit to be able to function according to the kingdom, so also those who wish to walk as citizens of the kingdom will be reliant upon the Holy Spirit. They'll manifest their citizenship by their relationship with the Father and will welcome the gift of the Father who is the Holy Spirit and walk according to his leading in this life. These are the children of God who truly walk in the freedom of Christ the freedom he died to give to them because they're not bound by the enemy. They're not bound by their own flesh or the fear of man any longer. They're no longer prisoners to condemnation, rejection, shame, guilt, or always feeling they're so far off the mark they'll never be able to get back. They know and they are confident that they are the very righteousness of God in Christ. And they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, which fills them with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Jesus is in them, and they are in Jesus. They're convinced they're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and they're living with one foot in heaven and one foot here on the earth. And they're pulling the things that they're seeing in heaven into their earthly existence as they walk as the children of God and as citizens of his kingdom. This is why the scripture says the whole earth groans and waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Not the son of God, the sons of God. Earth is waiting for the church to see it and realize it and move into it. That's the Jesus living within you. What Jesus do you have in you? The religious Jesus? Anemic? Weak? Beggarly? Schizophrenic at times? Doesn't know if he wants to do you good or do you bad? Depends on the mood of the day. Maybe it was raining that day and he's got that, you know, disorder. Not enough sunlight. What Jesus lives in you. The Jesus the Bible reveals. The glorified Jesus. The Jesus that went about doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. The Jesus who laid down his life out of love for you so that you could be washed his blood, cleansed of your sins, forgiven of all unrighteousness, and made the very righteousness of God simply by believing. Is that your Jesus? If that's the Jesus living within you, You're not just a. You're more than. Can we pray? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus who you love so dearly and who has given himself so freely for us out of love. We thank you for the gift that you are, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the work that you completed at the cross. We thank you that you raised from the dead. We thank you that you ascended to heaven and that once you were seated, the Holy Spirit was released and came to fill all who would believe in you and believe he is there for them. 
We thank you for this, Lord. We thank you that you have not left us as orphans, as incomplete. But your word says that we have been made perfect in him. That's how we are made perfect is in him. We don't make ourselves perfect. We don't get there at some point, Father. You know that. We are already considered that in your sight because we're in him. Now, Father, may you, by the Holy Spirit, bring forth revelation into our hearts that opens up the vistas of possibility and opportunity. May you enlarge our imagination spiritually. May you enlarge our hearts to understand and have revelation of the love of Christ and your love for us. We're already full of you. We just don't always perceive it. We ask you to help us get over ourselves and get caught up in you. To let the petty things of this life that seem to do us so much damage go by the wayside as we fix our eyes upon you. Father, I, I curse all shame, all condemnation. Yes. Condemnation comes from the enemy. It never comes from you. And I curse it in the name of Jesus. Father, I speak over everyone here and everyone online right now and everyone that will hear this message afterwards. Lord, I just, I just speak a freedom and a release through the revelation of the Spirit. We speak that, Lord. We speak healing. We speak life. We do not speak death. We do not speak shame. We do not speak condemnation. Lord, these are your people whom you dearly love. And we wash them. We wash them today with the word of hope that is theirs in Christ Jesus. May each one grab hold of it. May they own it and possess it. And may it increase and enlarge so greatly within them that, they're, Lord, they're just experiencing your fullness at levels they never dreamed they could. And, Lord, may we bring a testimony and a witness on this earth. You are alive and real. And we, we don't ever want to be ashamed, Jesus, of you or of the work that you did. It is our testimony. And we overcome the enemy by it. So we thank you for all that you've done, all that you are. And Father, I would ask that the Holy Spirit would bring a fresh living revelation of who you are more and more and more to our hearts. So that our trust in you can increase all the more. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. Can you receive that this morning? Oh, I hope that.